Well, there's this, uh, there's this funny thing that happens in the church, and that is when Mother's Day rolls around, you know, we're, we really, you know, take our time to articulate the significance of mothers and just, just the way they've built into our lives and blessed us. And just take time in the service to really honor moms, you know? And then Father's Day comes along and we're like, come on, guys, get your acts together, live like men, step up. So I want to kind of toe the line in the middle, you know, somewhere in between. Uh, you know, guys, I, I do praise God for you. Uh, the men in our church who are committed, uh, not perfectly, but just committed to following after Jesus, knowing that the family God's entrusted to them are the primary people in their lives to, to strive to display uh, what loving Jesus looks like and following him. And so uh, I praise God for the men in our church. Happy Father's Day. Dads, if you have a Bible, why don't we turn to Luke chapter 12? That's it. That's all. Let's move on. <laughs> Enough about you dads, right? Um, turn to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. We're looking at some of the parables that Jesus told uh, in our services these days. And uh, as you turn there, um, we have uh, every family has, has, has member, a member of the family who's ne never ready on time, right? Every family has one. And I'd like you to point that person out right now. <laughs> busted, busted. Growing up, I had a particular sister who was never ready. And uh, we'd all wait for her, be sitting in the van, waiting for the one sister, you know. And, uh, and now I have a particular son that's never ready, who shall remain nameless. My oldest son, who uh, we just sit and wait. We just sit and wait for whatever he's doing. Um, and the parable of Jesus uh, that we are, he's coming to the next service, I'm not going to say that part. The parable of Jesus that we are looking at this morning is all about being found ready. So let me read it to you. We're going to look at verses 35 uh, through 48. Let me read it to you and then we'll dissect it a little bit with our time today. Jesus told this parable. He said, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, one of his disciples is like, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Because there are a big crowd had gathered to hear Jesus. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. 
But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It's a pretty heavy parable. Here's what we're going to look at this morning. First, be found serving the master. Second, we'll look at those found not serving the master. And third, we'll look at a master worth serving. Be found serving the master, those found not serving the master, and third, a master worth serving. Before we get there, I've just got a question that I would like for you to ruminate on uh, until the point where we take communion together today, okay? A, a question I've got for you that I'd like to, you to mull over over the next 15 minutes or so. Here's the question. If you knew you had one day left to live, or one day before Christ returns, what would you do? Okay, sit on that. Think about that. Now first, be found serving the master. Jesus starts telling this interesting parable with the verse 35 and says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Now, being dressed ready for service uh, today means wearing your Carhartt shirt or whatever it is, right? And just ha- whatever your job is, wearing the proper clothing for it. In the ancient world, everybody wore long flowing garments. Dudes wore dresses and it was normal, all that kind of stuff. But if you're dressing for service, Um, You really can't have a long flowing garment going on while you're doing manual labor. And so to dress for service was to pull the long flowing garment and tuck it into your belt so that it was out of the way so you could do your work. To keep your lamp burning is to mean not to go to sleep. And so to be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, which is the instruction Jesus is giving in the parable, simply means to be prepared, be ready, stay awake, don't fall asleep, because the master is returning. And then on in verse 38, it says, it will be good for those servants who, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. Now, the Jewish method of timekeeping had three watches in the night. 10 p.m. to midnight was the first watch. 1 to 3 a.m. was the second watch. And 4 to 6 a.m. was the third watch, that last stretch before dawn. In other words, just because it's taking him a while to return doesn't mean that his servants should slack off and just go to bed and forget about the responsibilities they've been given by their master. The master should find his servants waiting for him no matter when it is and how unexpected. He should find them doing their job. Goes on in verse 39 and and says this, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Then he turns it to the audience that's listening to Jesus. So therefore, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour you do not expect him. I've told this story before, uh, but I want to tell it again. It's a true story about a couple in England who parked their car in front of their house every night. And then one morning they woke up and found their car was gone and it had been stolen. So they reported it to the police. But then strangely, two days later, they woke up to find their car safely back in front of their house. And inside, they found a letter apologizing for taking the car, thanking them for the use of it for two days. And with the letter were two tickets to a show in town. They're like, this is strange. This is odd, but what a nice gesture. And so they went to the show only to come back and find their house had been robbed. Pretty brilliant, actually. 
The point is, if you knew your house was going to be robbed at that time, you wouldn't have left it unattended. And here, Jesus turns it to the listeners and says, you should also be ready because I'm going to return at a time when you're not expecting me. We, we often don't live life with this kind of anticipation that Jesus could return at any time. The whole point of this parable is to ask the big question, are you ready for that? Are you prepared? If Jesus returned today or tomorrow, would you be ready for him? How would he find you living? Would Jesus find you going about his mission in your life? Or would he return to find you sleeping, slacking, living in sin that you tell yourself you'll deal with at some point, but that there's no urgency about? Or, or maybe you're at such a distance to Jesus, you're like, I'll get my, the Jesus stuff sorted out later in life. I've got all the time in the world. I want to do my thing now. And before I reach my deathbed, then I'll give my life to Jesus. There's a warning in this parable that says, do not live that way. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he, he starts to talk about um, something referred to in the Bible as the day of the Lord, which means a lot of things, but included in that is the day of the Lord, is, that, uh, is Jesus' return, and that when he returns, he will judge the earth. And it's interesting, because the, the, Apostle, the Apostle Paul is referencing that, and here's what he says about that. About times and dates, we do not need to write to you. We don't need to be obsessed with that, is what he's saying. Ultimately, what he's saying is don't worry about the when of Jesus returning. Be concerned about the how he will find you living when he returns. That's actually a really helpful word for us because there are many people who kind of get obsessed with when the Lord is returning and they kind of look at their Bible like there's a code to be cracked, right? Predicting dates. Oh my goodness, this happened. Did you hear the news? This disaster took place. And I read about something like that in Revelation, which means probably within this, you know, by 2024, Jesus is coming, you know, like Paul and actually Jesus in Acts 1 say, stop it. Stop it. Don't worry about dates and times. Put your efforts into living the kind of life that Jesus instructed you to live. No matter when he comes, he'll find you prepared if you live to that end. To use the language of the parable, will he find us serving our master? And then Peter in verse 41 is like, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And Jesus goes on and says, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. Jesus is essentially challenging his hearers to live for him, to follow his ways, and that he will reward those who he finds faithful when he returns. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the end, at the end. But now he goes on uh, to explain what will happen to those he finds unfaithful, which were probably some troubling statements that I read that you were like, whoa, what? 
Listen to this, verse 45, about those not serving the master. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Cut him to pieces. What does that mean? Well, this is a parable, and so cut him to pieces is a metaphor, but a metaphor for being cut into pieces is no, no matter how you slice it, no pun intended, that, like, that's just not a good thing. It's actually a very troubling statement. It also blows up a lot of the categories we have about Jesus. Like This is a parable told by Jesus about unfaithful followers. Is this the Jesus you know? <laughs> this is the Jesus of the Bible. This is a warning he's giving. It should feel a bit uncomfortable in the room because this would have been uncomfortable to Jesus' hearers. What do we do with this? Well, first, let's look at what the servant does. The servant is supposed to take care of the other servants. What does he do? Instead, he beats them and oppresses them. It's his job to feed the other servants. Instead, he just feeds himself and he gets drunk. He's been given the responsibility to serve others, to care for them, to feed them. Instead, he's selfish and only serves himself and oppresses those in his care. If the servant is faithful and wise, we're told in the parable, he will be commended and blessed upon his master's return. But if he's oppressive and selfish, he will be cut up and thrown out with those he belongs with. An unimaginable truth in the 21st century is the idea of judgment. But if we consider for a moment, it's actually written into the fabric of our society. Every exam needs to be marked. Every athletic event needs to be timed or measured. Every court case needs a verdict. When we watch a movie and there's a hero and a villain, everything within us wants to see the hero have victory for justice to prevail over the villain. And in those movies where that doesn't happen, where justice doesn't prevail, where the hero doesn't win, we walk out unsettled thinking that's not right. It's not the way it should be. It's woven into the fabric of our society that judgment is a thing. It's woven into our hearts. We recognize that it is a thing. And the difficult truth is that what we do with Jesus, he's saying in this parable, our lives lived in service or denial of Jesus will inevitably lead to a day of judgment when Jesus will settle accounts. And he will do so, you can trust this, he will do so perfectly, fairly, and definitively. And yet that's still terrifying, isn't it? Because if Jesus is going to judge me fairly, that, that's not good for me. So is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, or are you putting your hope somewhere else and spending your life on that? How are you living? Here's something fascinating and troubling. Both managers, right, the faithful manager and the unfaithful manager, both managers were aware of the master. And they both knew that he would return at some point. Who's the parable about? The parable is about people who are familiar with Jesus and the story of the Bible. 
The parable is about, just about people who know about God, who have heard the gospel. And the point is, one genuinely loved and served the master in practice, and one knew the master but didn't serve faithfully. Knew the stories, knew of him, but lived selfishly. How are you living? Is your life marked by loving, grateful service of the master, or is your life marked by self-gratifying, independent control of your own life? I get that the master's telling me to do this, but I choose to live like this. It's a question of motivations of the heart. But I'm not done yet, okay? I've got one more point. And I want to show you that there's really only one motivation to serve the master that's beautiful. There is a motivation to serve the master that is profoundly beautiful. And that reason is because you have come to discover that he is a master worth serving. So back in chapter 12, verse one, it explains that many thousands of people had gathered. There's a crowd listening to Jesus. And what Jesus said in verse 36 and 37 would have shocked the thousands. Here's what he said. Like men waiting for their masters to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. That would have shocked his hearers. Why? Well, because servants serve. Masters are served. That's how it worked. But Jesus is saying that he will dress himself to serve those who were found watching when he returned. A master ministering to his servants. And look at what the master will do for them. The language is, he will dress himself for service. In other words, the master will tuck his long flowing garment into his belt and take the posture of a servant and serve those who faithfully followed him. Here's what Jesus is saying. When he returns, he's going to serve those who are faithful to him. He's going to be thrilled with our faithfulness and wait on us at the great banquet, which is a vision of the new heavens and new earth, a meal together in perfect communion with him. It's an amazing picture. Now, for some of you, that whole chopped into pieces language is still troubling you. Uh, that, that is uncomfortable language in the parable, but it, it makes me think about um, Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, what's going on there is God is making a covenant with a man named Abraham. And the way that ancient covenants worked was really quite peculiar. In this particular text, uh, God told Abraham to bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, and a three-year-old ram, and to cut them in half and to put the severed halves on either side of him. And then what was to take place was the person being bound by the covenantal agreement was to walk between the two pieces, signifying that if he were to break that covenant they were making, he would be as good as those animals, severed, chopped up. Putting his life on the line to make that covenant. God was going to lavishly bless Abraham. And so you're thinking, well, Abraham's supposed to walk through the severed halves, no? 
But that's not what happens. There's a, a theophany. There's a, there's a presence of God that actually moves between the two halves, meaning God put his life on the line. The covenant that God has made with his people is one where he put himself on the line. God passed through the pieces. Here's what he was saying. I will become a servant. I will be cut into pieces in order to bless you. And then he did it. That's why we have a cross, right? Like that, that's, that's, that's the centerpiece of the Christian faith. What happened there? Jesus was cut in pieces for you. God said, I will bless you even if it means I have to be cut into pieces. And then he did it. So how is it that we know that when, we, when Jesus returns, he'll dress himself to serve? We know that he will because he already has. He became a servant. He was cut to pieces so you wouldn't have to be. Is the text troubling? Yes, it is. Sin exists. Judgment is coming. And Jesus made a way for you to be spared the wrath of God by his grace. To spare you. He took the severing. So what does it mean to be ready then? Well, first, it means to be converted. It means to bend your will to his, to submit your life to him, the one who gave his life to save yours. And second, it means to spend yourself in grateful service to a God who has gone to such great lengths to redeem you and given you abundant life in Christ. How will you respond? Are you ready for his return? Remember that question I asked you near the beginning? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow or Jesus was going to return tomorrow, what would you do with the remaining hours? I mean, the classic examples are sort of bucket list stuff. Jump out of a plane, you know, go whitewater rafting, do something fun, drive a car really, 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 really fast. There's other stuff too, right? It's like, well, I'll tell the people closest to me that I love them, make sure that I tell them the things that I should, express my how I feel about them. If there's broken relationships, strive in your power to make amends, right? There is this, there would be this sense of urgency if, if things aren't right with God in your life to be like, I need to get right with God. There'd be this sense that's like, oh my goodness, I'm, 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 it's like the lights are coming on. I'm seeing what life is all about. I'm meant to live for God's glory and to further the kingdom of God, right? See what life is really about. It becomes vivid in that kind of a setting. The purpose of this parable is to have, give us that mindset. What are, you let, what are you leaving unattended? What are you saying with, I'll deal with that in the years to come? What are the things that you need to attend to today that you need to stop putting off? What are the things that you need to do to get right with God, confess and turn from? And what are the ways in which you're not pursuing the mission of Jesus in your life? It's time to get on board. Like I said, there's only one really beautiful motivation to serve the master, and that's to see that he's a master worth serving. You know what Jesus did when he knew he had a day left to live? Well, the Gospels tell us that he dressed for service, and then he knelt down and washed feet. And then he got up and he instituted the Lord's Supper. That's what he did. 
And then he went to a cross, which this was to represent. And didn't just put his life on the line, he gave it up. The Bible tells us, essentially, in a parable form, as a metaphor, that we will be judged. And the image is cut to pieces. That's why we have bread and wine, bread and juice. Represents body and blood. Jesus did it. He dressed to serve, he washed feet, and he served his disciples this meal. That's a master worth serving. So uh, I'll get you to get started on these uh, extremely frustrating tabs. <laughs> so many people like spilled this on their laps and just couldn't get the juice open in time and just missed it. So I'll let you get started. <laughs> Thanks for rolling with us. You know, we, um, we missed so many opportunities in the last 15 months to take communion together. And as I chatted with many of you, it, it, it was one of the very first like real longings of our people is like, I miss the Lord's Supper. I miss partaking. And so we're making up for lost time. I'm sure you've noticed we're doing this every week. Uh, we're going to pare it back a bit in the summer months, but uh, we're trying to make up for lost time. And so because this has been a regular practice, and, and, and just so you're aware, this represents our belief that Jesus died in our place, that, that his body was broken and his blood was shed so ours wouldn't have to be sin forgiven. He died so we could live. That, that's what this represents. And if you believe that, we welcome you to partake in that. I just want to drill down one layer deeper this morning with our communion. And, and what were the things just welling up as, as, as you sat with that question of if I've got a day left or Christ returns tomorrow, what am I going to do? What am I going to change? Jesus is a master worth serving. This proves it. I just want you to take a moment of quiet reflection and let the Holy Spirit just impress some things on you before we partake together and make some commitments to just say, I don't earn this, but I live in grateful response to this. How is my life not like that? What are the areas I'm not surrendering? What are the ways I'm not living on mission? What are the, you know, all that kind of stuff. So let's just take a moment and then I'll invite you to partake with us together. Let's just take a moment. Jesus, this bread represents the fact that, that you took the chops so we could get the grace. And I invite everybody who believes that and is grateful for that to partake. And if you believe that Jesus' blood was shed so yours wouldn't have to be, so that there would be a way for you to be forgiven, for you to receive grace, and recognizing there is a God who loves you so much that he laid his life down for yours. If that is your belief, in grateful response, I invite you to drink.
Oh, Jesus, we've got one life to live. I pray that we would do two things. Recognize your goodness and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.